Hello, Dugs. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Club listeners, readers, friends, Dougs, we have arrived at the end of our secret project number one, book club. Last time we talked about the sorceress in detail, and in this episode, we want to discuss all the other world hoppers, non-Lumarians, who make an appearance in the story. But first, let's do a little bit of housekeeping, because with the end, we have a transition and some changes coming up as we launch Secret Project number two, Book Club. I would love to bring in some feedback from the listeners, because after our last episode, we got a lot of wonderful messages and engagement. Yeah, across the entire spectrum of both social media, you guys were reaching out on email, on snail mail, on Facebook, on Twitter, on all the of the different things. And I think there were even some fun misunderstandings uh, about the intensity <laughs> of our argument. So let's uh, let's bring in some of the listener feedback from the entire book club. It's been a great run here with Tress. And we want to hear from all of the listeners. Yeah, it's always great to hear what people are thinking, whether it is about the Cosmere specifically or just about the podcast. This is about the time of year when we usually ask people if you would like to, to rate and review our podcast on whatever platform you use. And we've got a few interesting ones from iTunes. User Rad Horn said that They are always having to internalize their thoughts on these books so they don't spoil it for their husband who's behind them on any given book or series, and our podcast helps to scratch that itch. And then I love this. They also said, quote, the hosts are the most adorable couple that never actually say they're a couple, end quote. Thank you. I agree. (laughs) Then we got some... A spicy comment. Ooh, yeah. Just on the other side of that thing. On the one hand a comment, and on the other hand, a concern. And we like all of the feedback. I like the title of this review, which is Harmony or Discord by S. Clark 330. They say they love the podcast, great info, but they do have a gripe, which is that they feel bad for you, Tyler, because they say that I interrupt you and condescendingly shut down your ideas. And that once our podcast was Harmony and And now now Discord Discord is is creeping in. Well, S. Clark, I appreciate you looking out for both myself and the podcast as a whole. And I just want to let everybody know that we play up the Discord for podcast purposes. For the drama. Yeah. But I will say I appreciate a no drama individual. So S. Clark, keep going. Exactly. I feel it. He's just like more harmony, less discord. And that's a valid opinion. Absolutely. But things are all good on the home front here. (laughs) And we have a comment from In Bernie, who just said that they love listening in a binging fashion. This is maybe a new thing. Obviously, anybody could have binged our episodes in the past, but now we have like 
well over 100 episodes. Yeah, there's a good amount of episodes now. So enjoy the binge, the ups and the downs, the harmony and the discord, because we've had a great time and are only continually having a great time making these episodes and going over the secret projects, especially in this year of Sanderson. Speaking of harmony or discord... We had a little disagreement in our last episode about what exactly technology in the Cosmere is going to look like. And this is apparently a hot topic because quite a few people had thoughts. You had thoughts. You had opinions. You wrote I them in. I love it. I'm so glad so many people wrote in. As a refresher, I may have been called basic at one time or another. <laughs> I told you this was your worst Cosmere take, which is really saying something. And our listeners had thoughts Rufus wrote in a lengthy email that I will not go over in in its entirety. However, Rufus wanted to say that he believes we are both correct. Yeah, bridging the gap, bridging the discord, bringing peace to the homestead here on Cosmere Conversations. Because of the situation with electricity's production being something that we've seen in our own world kind of scale up, that it may have been more difficult in the past to produce electricity than it is today. And we can imagine with future technologies, it will be even easier to produce electricity, that that will become abundant. Whereas investiture and the magic is maybe limited and difficult to imagine that same type of exponential scale. Depending on where you are, of course, obviously somewhere like Rashar has much more readily available investiture in the environment, which, you know, that may not necessarily be an issue. But I think Rufus does make a good point that on several worlds, investiture is harder to come by. And so it may not necessarily be feasible to have fully investiture-powered technology. Yeah, this kind of like blending or or meeting of the minds, a kind of middle ground is a recurring theme in people's commentary. And he said using investiture to create more electricity. So a little bit of a, a blend there using a little bit of investiture to create a lot more electricity and therefore power your technology. Yeah, and giving the example right now of automobiles in our world, the struggle between gasoline and electric vehicles is kind of met in the middle with a hybrid application or even just applications within the car, for example, Mm -hmm. like operating the radio or turning on the headlights. Those are controlled by electricity. But the larger application of travel and moving like the engine is done by gasoline. And in the future, we might have enough power in electric vehicles to do everything kind of by one source. I like this idea of hybrid technologies. Yeah, I feel like that's a good call, Rufus. Now, user Sildaris, longtime friend of the pod, has written in in defense of me with like a slight aside and nod to Brooke's idea, but really a defense of me. And for (laughs) that, we thank you. Noting that Brandon is a hard sci-fi nerd and has like a lot of fantasy applications that are based in hard science 
theories or kind of an understanding that is defined explicitly and that rules like the laws of thermodynamics still hold true in the Cosmere. And while there may be the introduction of something like investiture, that doesn't mean that all rules are out as we see in other kind of fantasy worlds. Yeah, it just kind of changes the way that certain things work. And so this person's idea is that there will be mundane technology present, but it may operate a little bit differently or be a little bit more intriguing than maybe my imagination is telling me right now, which I appreciate. So thanks, Sildaris, for backing up me and bringing Brooke closer to my ideas. But let's go over to Dan, who has the opposite opinion. Yeah, Dan, I was very happy to hear from because he says that you are all caps so wrong. (laughs) So wrong. (laughs) So wrong. And basically says that we already have so many examples of investiture technology that we definitely don't need electricity-based technologies and that uh, capital I intent is really the thing that is going to sort of kickstart these magical pieces of technology. And I feel like there's a lot more that Dan brought up that we're not going to include on the podcast, but the, just that idea of intent being a almost like software in itself or like a, a programming language yeah. that through investiture is able to operate. Whereas like we... It does seem like intent would fill a lot of gaps. Right. Like we kind of use electricity as a means of expressing our intent, saying nothing about just like our brain operating Mm -hmm. with a bit of electricity, but just like I want something and I use electricity in the form and through a computer and that hardware to like make that happen in the Cosmere that can happen a little bit more with intent through investiture. Right. You can use your intent to sort of shape the investiture that would presumably change the way that the technology would work. Anyways, so many great thoughts. Thank you all for writing in. But I want to toss it over to longtime patron and supporter of the podcast, Nandor, who had this to say, connected in no way to the arguments that may or may not exist, the Harmony or Discord. Nandor's always there to bring us back to reality with this. Quote, not sure if this has been floated yet, but Kelsier is Nick Fury. Recursive secrets, check. One good eye, check. Secretly assembling superpowered people to save the planet, check. Era 3 is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Scadrial. End quote. If Brandon's Brilliant. not listening to Nandor, I don't know why. Like, I feel like Dragon Steel needs to call up Nandor. He's got the ideas. This is it. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., maybe they're not the most popular of Marvel bits, <laughs> but it's going to be the most popular of Cosmere bits. I love it. Thank you all for listening in to the book club. Let's get into the episode at hand on Lumar's world hoppers and all these people who have seemingly shown up on Tress's planet to take part in this story. For a relatively dangerous planet, it seems to be a very popular destination. (laughs) Yeah, it's got lots of people coming in and out, coming and going. There is quite... A few. And Tress says, quote, on the planet, she asked, like you're from the stars? 
She'd heard stories of visitors from the stars, but had thought them fancies, even if there did seem to be more and more of them these days talked of among the sailors, end quote. It's quotes like this one and the kind of Princess Bride-esque nature of the writing Brandon uses in Tress that kind of just like interweaves these little mentions and you can't like necessarily take the word of sailors Mm. honestly, but sometimes the sailors are accurately discussing, you know, phenomenon or visitors from other worlds. And the viewpoint that we have is just one where everything is kind of new and a mystery and fantastical. And so we kind of don't know which path to go down. Aside from that mention of like sailors kind of uh, casually mentioning this, in the book, we do get mention of a Nalthian or at the very least Nalthian tech. Maybe that came from given a by a wizard. Maybe not. Yeah, given by someone described as a wizard. Right. We also have a Skadrian Chondra. We have an Elantrian. We have a dragon. We have Hoid. And we have mention of the Iriali. So right there, that is at least six. Yeah. And we would expect there are more visitors that we are not aware of. These are just the ones that we happen to catch on the first pass. Of course. I want to just pull out the one quote that we have about the Iriali before we dive a little bit deeper into some of these other characters. Quote, do you know anything about that writing? She asked, eager. It's old Iriali, he said. They vanished, you know, the entire people. Poof. There one day, gone the next. Their island left uninhabited. Now, that was 300 years ago, so no one alive has ever met one of them, but they supposedly had golden hair, like yours, the color of sunlight, end quote. A fascinating quote that sent my mind down the Cosmere Conversation's crazy conjecture corner, because I was just kind of left wondering, wait, is Tress a descendant of these Iriali people who, like, existed? 300 years ago, on Lumar, assumingly interacted with people, you know, had families and whatnot. Those families had families. The bloodline gets down to (laughs) Tress. The hair is just always remarked as very striking and like true golden for actual Iriali people. Yeah, I think that is my only sort of qualm with that thought that maybe Tress has descended from Iriali. Maybe she is, but I do think we should remember that the Iriali are described as having, like, actual metallic gold hair. Rather than just blonde. blonde. Yes. Yeah. And so there's a chance that I think because no one has actually, no one alive has seen the Iriali, when people say, oh, they had golden hair, obviously we're going to think blonde, not realizing that they actually had golden hair. And so I think this is potentially a case where characters in world are saying something incorrect because they don't know. And from the Stormlight Archive, we know that the Iriali are also known as the people of the Long Trail who are traveling from land to land and... In that quote, Rashar was remarked as the fourth land of the seven total lands. Now, the timeline is hard for us to understand, but perhaps this is like the Iriali 
having arrived on Lumar and then already left, it's like them doing number six out of seven or something. <laughs> you know, they're in the future leaving lands. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a question of like, why did they come there? Why have they left? It says that they just disappeared poof. And I'm very curious as to how they achieved that. It says to me they have some way of slipping into the cognitive realm, perhaps, so that they can disappear sort of instantaneously without travel in a vehicle of some kind. Yes, perhaps even teleportation, which we talked about in association with our last Lost Metal episode as something that Tensoon knew about and maybe Harmony did not know about was possible through metallurgy. It seems like maybe the Iriali are able to do something like that through the Well, Cosmere. we also talked about the potential for a Fabriel being created on Rashar from the transportation surge, which is more likely they would have something like that. Certainly, they seem to be really interwoven with Fabrials, and like the use of Fabrials makes sense for the Iriali, but always fun to get a mention of them. Did we want to open up the mystery box that is Ulam? Of course, yes. One of the primary world hoppers that we see in the book is Ulam, who is a Chandra from Scadrial. He has a unique uh, physical presentation that we've not really seen from Chandra previously, which really threw me off for a long time. <laughs> He's described like this, quote, he had jet black hair and features that looked too sharp to be real, like he was a painting or a drawing. His skin was an ashen gray, his eyes blood red, end quote. A haunting image, something like a Dorian Gray is what I am picturing, but not like sort of the beautiful Dorian Gray as he's decaying and, uh, you know, becoming old and, you know, ashen yeah. white, Just barely like alive. Just like fully unnatural for sure. Certainly the blood red eyes would be striking and like horrifying to actually come across. <laughs> yeah. But then when like, you- Like why would you make that choice, Yula? <laughs> Then you realize that it is a choice as a Chandra. The physical appearance is 100% within Ulam's decision. Like he is making this distinct choice, all of these choices for the person or character that he is playing as and, and being. And I think. Well, and I think the. I think more so. It's that he is not playing a character. Right. We'll get into that a little bit more. Himself. The philosophy of the Chandra is kind of in flux, I think, at this time. And Ulam is a great example of that, where in the past, Chandra were created to impersonate others. And there was a lot tied into culturally. And like all of the Chandra, you know, were sworn to this pact. Ulam and the Chandra now have seemingly been released from the bonds that used to tie them to harmony. Do we want to read that quote? Yeah, let's do it. We hear from Hoyd that, quote, his people lost something when they stopped being forced to imitate actual humans. I can genuinely say that without that burden, they've all become increasingly themselves over the decades, end quote. Yeah, this idea to me points at another example of time doing a number on long-lived individuals here kind of you know chiseling away a lot of the 
guises of humanity that Chandra put on for many generations, but they are not human. They are something else. Yeah. And so like with more time and being released from whatever bonds were holding them onto Scadrial, it's like that gets stripped away and they just become what they are, which is a whole different species. So let me add this quote. I swear they've all been getting weirder ever since Sazed released them, end quote. So I think this is not just a function of time and time acting on long-lived people, but an actual function of some bond that they had previously, the contract where they are functioning as servants of Harmony. Now they are no longer doing that, which uh, begs so many questions like, why did Sazed release them? Did Sazed release them? Did Sazed release them because he is no longer Harmony? Unable to hold them to the contract? Or like if somebody was coming for his power and he didn't want that person to have Chandra, he could have released them. Or maybe like an honor situation, he started devolving more into Discord and cut them loose before they could be servants of Discord. But I mean, there's a million possibilities. I think one of the most important things that we can take away, though, is this concept that Ulam is a free Chandra and there are many other free Chandra, we assume, across the Cosmere at this point in the timeline. I want to go to another quote about Ulam. Quote, I nearly forgot Ulam, but seeing as he was dead, he barely counted. End quote. I think it's very weird, this quote, that he was dead. I mean, maybe you can argue whether or not Chandra are alive. Alive in the first place, yeah. But I don't think they're dead regardless. It you know? certainly does not fit any normal definition of dead that yeah. I would apply even something weird like Kelsier Thydekar is, I, you know, you would be hesitant to say, oh, he's dead. Yeah. Like he Maybe, did die. Like you can make an argument for like, he's not really alive. Sure. But you're not going to say he's dead. Right. Because there's something that is kind of inhabiting. And Chandra, I would say, are a step above yeah. something like a cognitive shadow. And so I don't think that it can mean anything other than a direct hint to something we don't understand. Like, it it has to be pointing to something we just clearly don't understand. But it was quotes like that that just kept throwing me off, where I would be like, oh, maybe it's a chondra. And then like, wait, dead? No, it can't be a chondra. Perhaps, and this is just speculation, but the two ideas are linked, that chondra specifically meant a thing that was bound by the contract of the Lord Ruler, Mm-hmm. And because the Lord Ruler created the contract, it was like all wrapped up in one. And so they quote unquote say they died and the contract dissolved. So basically, mm. the my idea would be that like all Chandra consider themselves having been dead so that they can be freed from the contract. That's a stretch. It's a huge stretch, but the, the Chandra are able to think species-wide in instances when they need to, as they have shown to do in the past. So they could make, you know, a collective decision on that scale would at least be possible for their species where it never would be for like humanity or even something like the listeners. They're just not going to, uh, there's going to be more individualism in those societies. I want to talk about Ulam as an individual because I think he has sort of an interesting personality 
Quote, Ulam, it should be noted, is not known for his bedside manner. Ulam is legitimately the best doctor I've ever met. If you are easily stressed but need his help, I suggest you ask him to sew his mouth shut before he visits. He'll probably find the idea novel enough that he'll try it. End quote. The best doctor that Hoyd has ever met. And he's not human, which I love. I think that Ulam's fascination, love of the human body comes from the fact that he eats humans and, and regurgitates them for his own presentation of himself. But that understanding, you know, unlocking a skill set that humans are unable to achieve. Yeah, by like processing so many human bodies so intimately, he has much more in-depth knowledge right. of the human body. Think of someone like yeah. Liren who trained their entire life and went to Carbron to study and never will have the intimate awareness or maybe even like the volume of well, dealing yeah. with the number of bodies. Obviously, every chondra is different, but like the highly productive ones were churning through human bodies because it was new disguises. And so they were probably getting a lot of human anatomy lessons in the most <laughs> intimate of manners. And I do find it shocking that Hoyd would consider Ulam the, the best doctor that he'd ever seen. I also love this idea that Ulam seems to be interested in novelty or like mm. weirdness. There, yeah. There's something strange about a being that would find it curious and interesting to sew one's mouth shut and then also have the ability to do so. Well, yeah, I think when your physical form is so malleable mm -hmm. and able to be fixed, healed, basically without effort, like, yeah, you're going to try all the weird things. Of course. So for your hot take, what do you think is the reason the chondra were released by Harmony? I what? legitimately have no idea. Just one guess. Your best guess. Go for it. I think the most likely is his impending transition into Discord. And you think he kind of released them so that there would not be that connection to Discord? Yeah, like a Jekyll and Hyde scenario. Right. He like knows that the other character is going to take over and doesn't want the, the worst bonus. character yeah, to have these very powerful tools. I think that's a great call and would be interesting I, being a little bit more pessimistic about Harmony Discord, think that this may be an example of Discord releasing them purposefully to cause more Discord throughout the Cosmere by introducing aliens and a non-human set of aliens Well, we've to already other seen Sazed start to promote Chandra's going to other worlds exactly. for the reason that there is a ton of quote-unquote aliens coming to Scadrial. People already know about them and are invading Scadrial. And so it makes sense to also put your people out into the world. Oh, I totally yeah. agree. It does make sense, but it's also discord. It I is, don't think so. It is. I think it's actually in harmony with what's already happening in the universe. I think it's uh, it's increasing the rate of collisions in the Cosmere. People bumping into each other creates these stories, creates these interactions that wouldn't otherwise happen. And I think that there's a question of perhaps these are the acts of discord 
rather than what you're saying that this is an act of harmony trying to prevent something in discord i'm just saying like discord's already there this is what discord is doing and perhaps that's a way we can look at it as well when it comes to other world hoppers an obvious one is the dragon zysis Yes, Zysis, our first canon on-page dragon. I hope that we can take Zysis as a template sort of for what dragons in the Cosmere are, because there are many different types of dragons and different ways that they present in all of the different mythologies on Earth. And so there's always kind of a question of like, what kind of dragon is going to be in any particular world that has dragons. Maybe there are different kinds of dragons in the Cosmere, so maybe we can't assign all of them all of Zysus's characteristics. However, we can try. <laughs> it does work great as a model. So do you want to go through the appearance of Zysus as we have it described? We get a great passage about his appearance. Quote, it had a sinuous neck, reptilian body, and two vast wings formed as if to block out the sky. Other details were unexpected. For instance, the mane of silvery hair that adorned the dragon's head, continuing down under the neck and chin as a beard, or the metallic silver ridges that split the dragon's otherwise onyx hide, outlining his features. This silver ran down the sides of all six limbs, up the sides of the neck, and formed two burnished horns, accompanied by a line of spikes down the back, more subdued, the subjects to the regal majesty of those horns, end quote. What a description of a dragon. A, I am enthralled just by your retelling of it, but what many of you already know, but we can at least confirm, is that the metallic silver ridges and the different callouts to a silver is in fact dragon steel famously the name of brandon's production company dragon steel may have magical and or historically important ties to the rest of the cosmere it's also the tentative title of hoyd's backstory novel so there's a lot kind of riding on these descriptions. And I did find it interesting that the silver, you know, ran down the sides of all six limbs up and down the back. And it was just kind of like everywhere, including up into these big horns. So it's a wild description of a dragon, certainly more mythical, even though that doesn't make sense for a dragon, <laughs> more fantastical sure, than yeah. perhaps I was thinking uh, with uh, the House of the Dragon and Game mm, of Thrones, you yeah. know, as a as a template, that very kind of like realistic ish ish yeah. animal that you can like conceive of maybe having existed in a world like ours. This truly does seem to be far more magical, and I like that a lot. Yeah, one other sort of common dragon trope is that dragons hoard gold and wealth. However, that is subverted, it seems, in Cosmere dragons. We hear that dragons do not hoard wealth in the Cosmere, but they do hoard the wealth of knowledge, ideas. Yeah, hoarders of ideas is an interesting skill set, but it reminds me a lot of Zazed and the world bringers and their culture. Yeah, of it does remembering make stories. me think of a similar group of dragons that have sort of banded together to collect knowledge and 
are also maybe gatekeeping that knowledge. And that might be one way in which Hoyd and Frost or Hoyd and many other dragons disagree, where they might have knowledge that could help people that they are not disseminating to try to continue their path of non-intervention. But I like this concept because Hoyd is something of a hoarder of stories as well. Maybe not necessarily stories and magic. Yes, yes. (laughs) Stories and magic. And the the two are strangely alike in many ways in the Cosmere. But I see his efforts kind of mimicking what we hear about the dragon Zysus. Oh, maybe. It seems like Zysus is much more non-interventionalist. He is living at the bottom of the Crimson Sea, Basically, just studying. He is studying the ecology at the bottom of the Crimson Sea and doesn't really seem to have any desire to participate in the wider world or to share any of his studies. (laughs) Yeah, including a lot that would be immediately beneficial, not just to the people of Lumar, but seemingly to people across the Cosmere. This comes from the book that Tress finds in Crow's Cabin with a description of Zysus. So it's coming from in-world. It's not necessarily... Well, we don't know who wrote this book. Yeah, but it's it's a in-world text. We yes. can't give it perfect knowledge. But here is that description. Quote, It is clearly evident that Zysus has the power to cure any disease. In 1104, a supplicant reported being healed of cancerous tumors in a very extreme state of progression. This individual, Delph of the Zephyr Islands, is a well-known and respected scholar, and his word is trustworthy. End quote. As is often seen in these historical texts, your sources are the word of some guy. Yes, 100%. (laughs) And we don't know what Zeiss's actual powers or abilities are, but if he has advanced knowledge through studying across the Cosmere, you know, it's not wild to think that what we might consider to be difficult diseases Mm. to deal with, he has relatively straightforward solutions for. Yeah, I guess the question is, is he... Are his healing powers a result of his knowledge gathering? And, you know, he just has the knowledge to be able to mix medicines or provide correct treatment, or if it is something innate and magical. We know that to be in remission from her spore eater pathogen, basically, Crow would have to stay near to Zysus in order to maintain remission. Is that just literally she needs to be in the physical presence of Zysus because Zysus emits some magical pulse that cures disease while that's happening? Or is it because he needs to brew a tincture for her and she has to drink it every day? That's the question. That is a good question. Yeah. And I think that speculation is allowed for because Isis is seen as this, you know, collector of knowledge. Not only are they a magical entity, we assume with great magical power and ability, they're also near immortal and have just been studying seemingly for a very long time. Which is kind of its own magical power. (laughs) Exactly. So, (laughs) you know, what can you unlock with a infinite amount of time 
and resources that may include, you know, magical resources. Yeah. There were some really interesting portions of the recent Brandon Sanderson spoiler stream about Tress. A lot of it was not super Cosmere relevant, but the parts that I found most interesting were Brandon talking about exactly what Zysis is studying, the ecology at the bottom of the seas on Lumar, and there potentially being some interesting and relevant things happening there. We don't know what any of that is, but I think that's just a good tidbit to throw out and for everyone to keep in mind. Definitely. When we'll actually come back to that when it we talk about the uses of spores, but I do think that the nature of these aether spores and their existence is potentially wildly useful for the fourth era of the Cosmere, the spacefaring mm. era of the Cosmere. And Lumar could become something like the ultimate trucker stop, just where you come <laughs> to get all your necessary resources for space travel and space flight. But it's not a primary planet like your Nalthus or your Rashar. So it's maybe not the last place where you're stopping, but yeah, it's just on the way. There would have to be significant advancements and how people know how to deal with spores for that to be the case. But maybe. Interestingly, Zysis says that they are only afraid of one thing on Lumar, and it is not Hoyd. It is the sorceress. And we talked about the sorceress being a little bit inept because they were fooled by Hoyd, and yet there's still enough power. Yeah, obviously, she commands quite a bit of power. I do think it's important to note that she apparently has so much power that even a dragon doesn't necessarily want to cross her. I find that to be of note. It's a... Maybe more credit is deserved for the sources that we were not giving her last time. Okay, let's move on to sort of some miscellaneous Cosmere connections that are a little bit smaller, sprinkled throughout. This is when we get our first mention of the fact that, as Chris says in the Ars Arcanum of the Lost Metal, Iron Eyes and the legend of Iron Eyes is making its way around the Cosmere. And we see him show up metaphorically and symbolically as the representation of death on Lumar. Tress says, quote, don't wake me up unless death himself has shown up, nails in his eyes, end quote. So seemingly the entire planet has had the image of Marsh and death combined in their history at some point. Yeah, well, just the way that Marsh is representative of death on Scadrial, apparently that correlation has migrated, has been exported in some way. And I believe that Chris does ask that question of like, was this intentional or accidental? Yeah, or is like something else going on? To me, the actual one-two punch of death's mythos growing throughout the Cosmere and the release of the Chandra, as we talked about earlier, is further evidence of these are the acts of discord. And I think that it's so interesting that we were discussing storytellers and the collection of storytellers because there's a, a way that Zazed be they harmony or discord. Let's just go with Zazed. 
is attempting to counteract autonomy, beat them at their own game. Autonomy spreads through the Cosmere via avatars. Yeah, if Sazed was trying to do that, he wouldn't have released the Chondra from their contract. He would have sent them out while in contract so that he could control them whenever he needed to. I think what we have to take away from Era 2 is that the more control, and especially maybe the more direct control that Harmony has, the more actual weakness there is, the more like difficulty he has in acting, the more potential for things to go wrong, and that maybe by releasing and relinquishing control that, you know, the Lord Ruler had really created, wasn't even zazed in the first place, but by like stepping back, that actually could aid his overall goal. If his overall goal was to like spread the stories of Scadrial throughout the Cosmere to make what I would hope the overall harmony story would be like, you need discord now so that eventually everyone can be harmoniously operating in the Cosmere, that we all have the same image of death because death is a universal thing, not a planet-based thing. And Scadriel just happened to have a really good story about <laughs> death in the form of Marsh. I I don't see any of that. I went in a completely different Oh, tell me where you direction. Went. I feel like maybe this is the evidence that we have been lacking that there's a possibility for people's ideas in the cognitive realm to be actively influencing a still alive entity. Well, quote unquote alive, I guess, entity. We've speculated and questioned this a lot in regards to the Heralds and Kelsier mm-hmm. asking if that is something that is happening. It seems like it would be possible, but we don't have any kind of textual evidence for it happening yet. I'm curious if this is the very beginning of that textual evidence, if there are enough people on Scadrial imagining Iron Eyes as death that that idea gets stronger and stronger into the cognitive realm, that correlation is stronger and stronger so that it is sort of seeping out of the cognitive realm into other planets' ideas as well. I actually think that we are on the exact same path, which is even weirder, because everything that you're saying, I agree that that kind of force of gravity, the cognitive realm vision of death growing as more and more people focus and believe that that is what death looks like, then it kind of just like uh, creates a snowball effect where the image rolls through the cognitive realm and maybe rolled past Lumar and people there became attached to the ever-growing Marsha's death snowball that (laughs) was passing them by. Here's my question though. It would be why Lumar? Let's suppose this could be wrong but let's suppose lumar is the first place that had this connection to scadrail and death specifically why do you think that would be or why do they have the connection in the first place i don't think it is the first place okay yeah i think that this is just one example of something that has been happening for potentially hundreds of years at this point as we keep saying we don't know what the timeline is for sure but 
it certainly seems like there's a pretty big gap in between the lost metal and Tress. Yes. And we already know as of the lost metal, it has begun happening. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that the process that you described happening on Scadriel to death and the image of death is exactly what then can be used by Harmony or Discord as an avatar-like thing across the Cosmere in the same way that autonomy would use an avatar. Those would be different things. I'm basically saying that, uh, well, autonomy seems to be going for domination via physical realm knockout is just going to beat everybody with weapons and armies. What well, if harmony auto- is, going is going through the cognitive the realm? Be there. Right. Exactly. Be yeah. present. Just wherever they turn, be, be there. there. It's a strategy that can work, but doesn't often go well. I am wondering if Zazed may have figured out a better move is to attack through the cognitive realm. Don't try to take over the physical realm. It takes too much time. But in the cognitive realm, stories can move much faster. Myths can move much faster than armies across the Cosmere. Maybe. That's a hard no, is what that is, <laughs> actually, folks. Uh, okay, another interesting tidbit that pops up that I think is a Cosmere connection, but one that we don't have really any context for, is the attempted replacement Charlie, described as, quote, reptilian with golden eyes and a toothy grin. My best guess is that she wanted to plant someone on the crow's song to deal with me more permanently, end quote. So that's from Hoyd describing the actual entity that was the subject of Rena's light weaving. The light weaving made this reptilian creature look like Charlie. And apparently this reptilian creature is something that would be able to, quote, deal with Hoyd more permanently. Yeah, like an assassin who is both able to be light woven on top of and also manipulated by the Elantrian. Like they're they're so weak that they can be controlled by the sorceress, but also so powerful that they can take out Hoyd. I don't necessarily know if it's being controlled by the sorceress. It might just be an ally. Yeah, working in conjunction. Yeah. And they're kind of teaming up. Now, this question was brought up by our patrons a couple of weeks ago. I saw that and I was like, we're getting there. Don't worry. (laughs) But I also did not make the connection to the lost metal that, as we talked about in our last episode there, has the revelation of a show Dell, the first time that we've seen a show Dell on page. And while that creature definitely had a description of four arms that we lack here, Reptilian was used to describe both and reptilian features. A little, a little different. I think the Shodel is described as just having reptilian eyes. So it's hard to say how far that expands in their presentation, but I do think it's interesting to make the connection between these two. Potentially, there is similarity well i like the concept that a shodel being 
a creature from Yolin, Hoyd's planet, right? That they may have some unique insight. Would be like particularly dangerous. Yeah, maybe it's just yeah. like a, a biology thing. Like Shodel happened to be poisonous maybe. to yeah. Hoyd, and he's like, I can't go around them. <laughs> but it could be something relatively straightforward like that. That simply, yeah. It would be wild if these introductions, you know, in the lost metal and tress of reptilian creatures, reptilian looking creatures were the same and that we eventually realized this was, you know, giving us basically a mini version of world hoppers from Yolin. Not necessarily, but we have Dragon, we have Hoyd and we could have Shodel. Yeah, 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 yeah. The last sort of mini world hoppery thing that I want to talk about is a new technology question mark, some type of new maybe medical technology that we see from Ulam. He has a salve that is incredibly powerful and essentially immediately takes care of pain. We hear from Tress, quote, the pain vanished immediately. Startled by the efficacy, she rubbed it around her cheek, end quote. And we also hear that Ulam calls himself, quote, the only true source of modern medicine in this backwater land, end quote. Now, I think that a quote like that, it's pointing to the fact that from Ulam's perspective, this isn't magic necessarily. This is technology and he says it's modern medicine. Exactly. I am very curious what this salve is. If it is some type of like pewter cream. (laughs) Just makes you stronger. I didn't know that pewter definitely gives you kind of like a resistance, but it sounds to me more like a cream pain reel, a fabriel for pain. Yes. Taking away, but then. But how did they create it on Scadrill? I guess maybe he didn't create it on Scadrill. Maybe he found it or created it after he left. Scadrill. Yeah, I certainly think he could have picked this up. The question for me is certainly, you know, how does it get to a cream? And is this something yeah. like a, you know, a, a simple icy hot that isn't really magical at all, but it's just a, a maybe a, a product no. mint or, or some aspect that they just don't have? From at least from what Trust says, it sounds like it legitimately gets rid of pain period she doesn't have to like reapply it she's not putting it on her every day because the pain starts to come back she puts it on once and the pain is gone so it is not like icy hot i don't think interesting we haven't seen anything like that even a pain reel operates in the moment it's like tricking your signals rather than legitimately healing you if anyone were to take off a pain reel the pain would instantaneously be back yeah or maybe maybe not instantaneously. It I do think it has like a numbing effect fade over time. Back. Exactly. It kind yeah. of comes back in to full power, full strength. But something this beneficial really we've only experienced with someone like Renarin, you know, giving mm, a stormlight healing. Yeah. And I think this is another good clue that Tress really is set quite far in the future for this type of medical technology to have been invented from any of the worlds that we've seen so far anyway now to wrap up here we would love if you pointed out anything that we missed from tress or the greater cosmere and how all of these things are interacting throughout the entire book club 
episodes, not just this one. But there has been so much to try to cram into these book club episodes and with such a new text that we certainly have missed some things. So we would like to take this time to kind of go back through our episodes and talk about some things that we may have missed in those episodes. One is a quote from Hoyt themselves, quote, she didn't realize that my true advantage has never been my uncommon intellect. It's been my ability to find the right people and stick close to them, end quote. I think that that is a good thing for us to keep in mind as we continue in the Cosmere and as we look back at the places Hoyd has been in the Cosmere. And the people he's interacted with yes, in the Cosmere. Yes, to remember that these people are apparently the right people according to Hoyd. In a joking manner, it has been said that Hoyd arrives on a planet or in a location and sees if there is anything story worthy going on and if not immediately leaving and that kind of connection to the plot and or important people main characters is perhaps a little bit of the fourth wall breakingness of hoyd he's just a little bit more connected to that aspect of the cognitive realm the cognitive <laughs> realm that we don't talk about that this is all a story universe with very <laughs> the distant meta cognitive exactly realm. it's a cognitive realm you know that we have with brandon's main assistants subcreated among the bigger cognitive realm of everything that goes on and hoyd is at least aware that there's stuff outside his experience. He's not only a world hopper, he's a dimension hopper. From our spores and aethers discussion, there are just a couple of other points that we didn't quite touch on. For example, we get this quote, he sailed the midnight sea mistress beneath Thanasmia's own moon, end quote. Perhaps Thanasmia is the name of another prime aether, like Selajana. Yeah, I certainly think with the connection to cognition or or maybe even sentience that some of the midnight monsters mm. have, it definitely triggers me a little bit when I see an actual name thrown out because that aether yeah. I think is, you know, more likely to have a consciousness mm. of their own that would require a name or demand a name yeah. rather than just like, I'm the verdant aether. You know, it, it doesn't <laughs> necessarily have anything beyond that. It is just verdant aether. Whereas oh. potentially a thing with consciousness yeah. wants a name. And that to me is what intrigues me. I don't know if every one mm. of these moons has a corresponding like name and maybe that is. Yeah, that's still a question for sure. Moving on with some more Aether stuff, we have some very intriguing descriptions of what happens when Tress tries to use Midnight Aether. She, I think this is the first time she uses it, and she almost dies of dehydration, and then she chugs some water and, quote, as soon as it touched her tongue, her mouth burned. She kept drinking through the pain, choking on the water, forcing it down a throat that was dry as parchment. After that, she lay on the wet mattress, wheezing. If she had been that dehydrated normally, she would undoubtedly have died, but this was no normal effect. Timely application of liquid reversed the process, reinflating her twig arms as the burning in her mouth and throat faded, end quote. When I read this the second time through, 
it really reminded me of pouring silver on a person touched by shades in Threnody. The description of twig arms and reinflation to me sounded a lot like what happens there. Quite interesting that you would bring up Threnody and the shades because there is some speculation, and it may just be my speculation, that the shades and like the curse of the shades is biological and, and like a, a plague that is going on on that planet rather than uh, something magical, perhaps, you know, bacterial, perhaps fungal. We don't know. I feel like you're just throwing this in for Matt. Me and the Matts of the world and the Dugs <laughs> of the world and all people are united. At the very least, this is a thread connecting Lumar to Threnody and uh, White Sand, Taldane. I agree. And just the, the use of silver to thwart, you know, different elements across these planets, I, I do not think is accidental. And similar presentation. Let's talk a little bit more about Midnight Aether and what's going on with these Midnight Aether creatures because they have, as you said, quite a bit of intelligence, even to the point of communication. When Fort and the rest of the crew are trying to appease or sort of threaten the Midnight Aethers, we hear, quote, the Midnight Monsters stopped. They didn't need the words as they could sense what a person was saying or meaning. Their essence reached out to people seeking the Luhel bond. And so what Fort said registered on some level with them, end quote. Fort communicates with the midnight creatures and the creatures communicate with little tentacle wiggles. And then Fort also starts using sign language However, even with the tentacle wiggling and the finger wiggling, they are said to be able to communicate, quote, because of the bond, end quote. They can sort of like mentally sense each other's meaning with sort of soft telepathy. Thoughts, queries, questions. Dive deep into the fungal rabbit hole, no. folks. <laughs> What else <gasps> can be said? What else can be said <laughs> except that the literally anything midnight monsters are connecting and communicating via a network that seems to go through the cognitive realm? Yeah, sure. That they are able to recognize, interpret intention, meaning, and you know, a threat versus a non threat, all from something that is not seen and seen in the physical world. Yeah, I would say this is going through the cognitive realm, that they are having some type of cognitive realm connection, communication. And my other speculation, my deep speculation about the spores and the aethers of Lumar is that they are using a fungal network, a mycelium-like network to move resources around from the moons to the planet, the water goes where it needs to go I via like this is a more like you know a wi-fi cloud or something yeah what else is a fungal a, network a fungal network is a wi-fi cloud made up no, of a fungus. fungal network is literal physical in the world a wi-fi cloud is not visible right it's not visible but it is happening it's just happening via electrons yeah and... which is more like what's happening here I agree that it is closer to a non-tangible thing. But if 
it was going to be tangible or if we could put an image on it, I feel like it would mimic a fungal network happening in the cognitive realm and that they are able to utilize that not just to pass resources, but seemingly to also understand things like intent and possibly connection as well. One more mark of their intelligence or at least cognizance of the midnight creatures is that their nature of trading, trading water for form and purpose, quote, leaves them highly susceptible to someone who understood the mechanics of the magic and had a mind for a good trade, end quote. So this seems to be another, I'm putting this in sort of a bucket with Fort's iPad as well, these things that are sort of easily hacked if you understand what you need to do. The sorceress, for all she knows, has complete control over these midnight creatures, and yet Fort has figured out the hack, and the hack is a trade. We also see Tress kind of operating on those grounds as well. I am brought back to Brandon's spoiler live stream from just the other night when he said that the Zephyr Aether, the one connected to wind or air, would be highly valuable in the spacefaring future of the Cosmere, as with just water and Zephyr spores, you have a source of breathable air. Mm, And so you could imagine using and utilizing those spores in a way to keep people alive in these difficult situation and contexts. I am wondering if that easily available resource in the form of spores and the kind of desire for the spores to be a part of trades, like they seem to fundamentally like trades Mm. as an entity or as a thing. Yeah, they all obviously operate on the same water for reaction principle. I think that it's pretty clear the midnight essence aether is completely different from, like I would call a midnight essence aether a higher spren and the zephyr aether a lower spren where it's really just like water, puff of air, water, puff of air. And there is some small desire, just Mm -hmm. like there's a desire for any animal to eat food. Right. But it's not having that cognizant awareness of, well, I could trade water to this person for this different thing, or I could trade water to this person for something else. And in this circumstance, the Midnight Aether has the ability to grasp kind of a complex concept where Fort is telling them, we have all this water, we could give it to you if you want to do stuff for us, or we're going to dump it overboard and you're not going to get the water. You know, that's like at least toddler level reasoning versus just like baby reasoning of just, I want food, give me food. And it's playing a complex game that, as the text says, someone could take advantage of understanding the basic mechanics. And a person that jumps immediately to my mind as trade master is Risen. What if this is a a task for the Wander Sale? Is Risen getting to Lamar. And, well, Risen and Fort would certainly get along swimmingly. They would just love each other. They would be trading, just getting the best trades. Just a deep discount shopper. Yeah, DDS. 
Hoyt has this to say about the consciousness of the midnight creatures quote for the context of the story though pretend that the thing slinking along outside her boat was functionally self-aware at the very least it had been given a specific set of commands that approximated life end quote and i think that distinction between what's approximating life and what is life is a fun one yeah it is sort of confusing because you hear functionally self-aware and I feel like my attention just goes to self-aware. I'm like, it's self-aware. But then when you add the specific set of commands approximating life, it's like, okay, hold, hold your horses a little bit. Maybe it's not really self-aware. It's more programmed. I certainly like that exploration. I don't want to dive too deep into AI conversation because I know everybody yeah. talks about that everywhere. But it is important to remember that currently, right now, in the year 2023, we do not have computer programs that are self-aware. We have large language models. We have things that are approximating yeah. language or approximating artwork. And they do so by complex means, but it is also very different than being self-aware. Not to say, and I think everybody's question right now is, can approximating life eventually gets you down the path of being life. Well, yeah, I think it's the question of where is the line? Yes. If it's close enough that you can't tell, then does it matter? I think that is a deep and philosophical question that's yeah. dealt with throughout you know, these stories and many other stories. And I think that we're going to talk about this a little bit more next time on the book club because this kind of theme is something that came up for Brandon in the creation of Secret Project too, but he mentioned in some of the lead up for that book that science fiction and fantasy is a place for us to explore these kinds of questions about what we think life is. What does it mean to be self-aware? Can something approximating life be considered self-aware in a place that is safe for us to explore all of the different possibilities and kind of parse out our thoughts, get a better understanding of things so that we are better prepared when these types of things come up in our actual lives. So I'm excited for this type of thing to continue showing up in the Cosmere, especially because I think Brandon does such a great job of putting these deep questions and philosophical thoughts onto the page with a lot of nuance and where we have a lot of space as readers to consider all of the different sides of the question. So much space to consider that we have spent an entire episode not really talking about our main character from this story. Like this is all True. about the secondary and tertiary characters from Tress. And the book club has been wonderful for that opportunity, that space to have these conversations. We so very much appreciate you. We always love the support of you, the listeners. Thank you so much for being here. And we have a lot more in store, including coming up our Seeker Project number two, the Frugal Wizards Handbook Book Club event. Oh, yes. Get ready. We've got a whole different world to explore. Not in the Cosmere, but we found this book benefited greatly from conversation. So I'm really excited to bring those conversations to the main podcast feed. 
Don't forget that if you want these book club series episodes, uh, when the books come out earlier than it hits the main pod, join us over on Patreon. You can get all of our thoughts, first access, sneak peeks, all the good things. And then this is also, like I said, the time of year. It is our our birthday season, summer. And we love when we hear from you guys, either ratings or reviews or both on whatever podcast platform of your choosing. Let us know what you think. It really helps the podcast reach more Cosmere fans, which is what we're all about. Incredibly well said. The only reason that this podcast is so great is because of all of you and the way to make more of you is unfortunately through clicking on your rating machines and devices and or leaving comments. We love all of the different types of contributions to Cosmere Conversations, and there are plenty. The easiest one is go find that little star or upvote button or like button or thumbs up or whatever it happens to be. Smash that like button. Bop it, spin it, like it, all that great stuff. Thank you so much. And we hope to see you next time for Secret Project Number 2 Book Club Event. It's going to be great. Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. 